Welcome to Disney at Play. I am your guest host, David Zanola, owner and agent at Out the Door Travel. And just like you may have done in high school when you celebrated what they called Turnabout Day, where you took over the role of a local politician or administrator in your school for the day, I was the mayor of my small town. Uh, I'm going to take over the podcast today and interview uh, the normal host, Jeff Kober, who we're going to bring in from his soundproof booth right now. Jeff, welcome. What was the booth in uh, Get Smart where you uh, lowered? The cone the, of silence. The cone of silence. Yeah. We are right now within the cone of silence, communicating this to our listeners out there who want to know the latest and greatest news from Disney. Um, so, But we must maintain the cone of silence as we go through this. Correct. And that, that, I had to think the cone of silence got quite humid at times with just talking into that with your breath, but uh, uh, who, whatever. Um, so uh, the reason for this podcast today and what I'm basically going to do is try to interview Jeff a little bit about Jeff's experiences visiting the Walt Disney World theme parks uh, just about a month after they have reopened following the, the, the COVID-19 closure. Uh, as a travel agent, uh, and those uh, clients and friends of mine that know I know Disney have been asking me a lot of questions about whether or not now is a good time to go and visit the Walt Disney World theme parks. And I typically have to answer with a, it depends. And the reason I say that is because uh, I think a lot of blogs and a lot of uh, Disney specialized travel agents are uh, screaming to the rooftops about a couple of things about the current Disney parks experience that definitely are good, but what they're unfortunately doing is also not uh, being forthcoming about some of the other areas which might make you hesitate. So I thought, what better way than to ask someone local who knows these parks inside and out about his experiences. So Jeff, um, tell me a little bit, since the parks reopened on July 11th, uh, you've been able to be back in all four parks, is that correct? Yeah, no, all four parks and uh, Animal Kingdom several times, Epcot several times, and I think the Magic Kingdom twice. So other than the studios, I've been multiple times to the parks at this point. So yeah. Yeah, and I just as a little context to our listeners, um, and I love this format, and I'm glad you recommended it, David. About about two weeks before the parks opened, I did another podcast called When Should You Go Visit Walt Disney World? And there was a grid with it. We're going to update that grid and put it on a show notes page at disneyatplay.com. It is a little bit of following this, but it is also kind of seeing it from a different perspective and helping, helping guests, helping people out there see whether or not they should pull the lever on going on a vacation anytime soon. So I love this format and I, I do want to reference that, but I was surprised when I did that podcast, that was actually a week or two before the parks even open. And so now I, I just now see it, you know, from uh, another set of eyes having been to the parks uh, multiple times. Well, and I think what's important about this discussion that we're going to have is to, to preface it all by saying, Neither of us are suggesting that you should not visit the parks or you absolutely should. What we think our job here today and what I'm hoping to bring out as I, I kind of question Jeff about his experiences are helping you listening to know whether or not based on you and your families and your traveling party circumstances, 
whether or not this is a good time, throwing everything out there on the table, the good, the bad, and, and helping you to make that decision. I've used the analogy uh, with a couple of clients who have said, should I go? We hear that the crowds are low. And I say, yes, the crowds are low, but that would kind of be like buying a car just because of the radio. That's definitely an important part, but that's not the only thing to consider. So I actually wanna start talking about those positives and what are things that are really beneficial about the current state of the Disney parks right now. And I think first and foremost, Jeff, tell me about your experiences in terms of crowd levels when you've been in the theme parks. So yeah, the word out on the street has been that the park attendance has been considerably lower. Um, and as I go through each of the parks in my mind, particularly Animal Kingdom and Epcot, they are very low in attendance. It is really a crowd I have not seen in either of those parks of any sort. Now I will say that the Magic Kingdom, a little bit more, a little brisk, um, it probably would have been what fall attendance looked like about 25, 30, 30 years, 30, 40 years ago, 40 years ago uh, on an off season day. Um, the studios also at times can be low in attendance, but there are definite times where there is, it looks like the studios everybody remembers. And so um, and that's an interesting thing because just in the last 24 hours, they've actually increased options of all four parks. They've increased more options to see Disney's Hollywood Studios to annual pass holders. So I thought that was kind of interesting that that really didn't increase options at the other three parks to the pass holders, but they did increase options to the studios. So um, I think I think that does play. And I also will say, and I, I don't want to jump ahead to the, the point, but hours are going to go down a little in terms of the total hours of the park before they go back up again uh, at the end of the fall going into the holiday season. And I think as the as I think as the attendance, well, September has always been a low month for attendance. Um, but when park hours get less, then you do see a bigger spike, no matter how the attendance may have gone down, you do see a bigger spike at the beginning and at the end of the day, simply because now there's a bigger compression of people heading into the park at the same time and leaving at the same time. But the rest of the time, it can be pretty quiet in all of the parks. Well, and I think that's an interesting point to, to make sure we bring up is I, I think that we'll actually see that both the, the, the positives as well as the things that might give you pause about visiting, they're actually going to be very closely related to each other, right? One, one plus in that crowds are low is going to bring with it the, the consequence or the side effect of park hours being shorter. And so I think that's what's important to know is definitely crowds are lower depending on how this podcast ages and when they start increasing capacity and when people feel comfortable coming back, you could listen to, to this in two months and things to start to really be moving closer towards holiday season crowds. We don't know, but the bottom line is that all experience seems to indicate 
that crowds are much, much lower, noticeably, not just like a very slow morning, but you will see many pictures. I know Jeff and I both follow a lot of, a lot of blogs and you'll just see some fantastic pictures that photographers have to be loving uh, where they're getting oh. photos of landscapes and just areas that Disney photographers, I mean, including yourself, you take a ton of pictures. Just yeah, like I no, do. I do. And I, all 50,000 empty, empty streets, all 50,000 photos are being um, reviewed at this point. And, and I, that is not, that is not a stretch number. That is, that is an actual number. And I've, I've carried a lot of photos over the years, but now, especially as camera technology has improved, but, now that the parks have emptied out, if you love photography, this is your time to go yeah. grab a shot. And so I'm literally, and I was really frustrated. Uh, this is a little side note. I was really frustrated when the pandemic came because I realized I have a lot of video of Tokyo Disney, of Hong Kong, of Disneyland. I have barely nothing of Walt Disney World. Hmm. And, uh, and, so, and so just... Yeah, taking on uh, video and uh, photography during this time, uh, that's been a real blessing about because you really can feel like you're in a very um, uh, a quiet, uh, it, it's, it feels like your park at times. Right. Well, it almost seems like from the pictures that I have seen, uh, and, and again, I am a, which I should probably disclose, um, I am immune compromised. And so I am not traveling to make sure uh, that I don't put myself and my family doesn't, you know, at, at any additional risk. Um, but uh, it seems like a lot of them are when, you know, a lot of times real big Disney Parks fans will stay at the end of the night until they basically escort you out and you just start to see the lands emptying out and you get a lot of pictures of empty streets. That's almost what it feels like, which is interesting uh, because we've never felt that when the parks have been open during the day before. But I think that those low crowds are going to then lead us to our second positive, the second benefit of a potential visit right now uh, in the early months after reopening is going to be lower wait times for attractions. And in many cases, it seems like wait time is almost a misnomer, that the only wait you have is from walking from the entrance of the attraction to uh, actually boarding. Can you give us a couple of, of key examples of where you said to yourself, Jeff, this line was always long, always windy, always just really thick. But now all I got to do is get myself up to the front and it was a breeze and maybe you even rode something multiple times. Oh, the, the grand example of this is Flight of Passage at Pandora. Uh, when you hear of people saying, oh, yeah, I went on it three, four, five times in a row, don't be surprised because it literally is... Um, a stroll. I would not say a walk on to the ride, but it is a stroll to the ride because, you know, you're playing the social distancing of, you know, seeing if the next little marker is free for you to, to go up to the next one. But, but honestly, you, it, it's like stop and start, stop and start, stop and start. And you do this whole game all the way through. And within minutes, you are in the attraction. My daughter had only done the standby queue for Flight of Passage once. And she was blown away when she went through it last week because she had not, she had not seen it uh, since opening. And it really is one of the great uh, standby queues that exists out there. That Flight of Passage queue is, is got so many levels, so many dimensions on it, so fun. 
to, to view and it sets you up for the, for the right attraction, which just, everything just moves quicker, even to the designation of which room you're going to and those rooms, now you only stand in one of the two rooms and you watch one movie instead of two and it just moves quicker. And it's, that has been, but you see the same thing in Seven Dwarfs uh, Mind Ride. You see the same thing where don't, do not go on uh, Millennium Falcon Guardian, uh, Millennium Falcon uh, Run if it's, if it's anything less than 10 or 15 minutes, because there's no need to go on it. Uh, there is usually several times during the day um, where it is just pretty much walk on. And that has been the saving grace in all of this is just uh, not having to do um, uh, a big weights. I, I should, maybe this is a good time to talk about this, David. Um, a big thing happened last week in which, and, and it's on our previous podcast on our Disney News on Parade, where we talked about Disney providing COVID testing and that made the Actors' Equity uh, Group agree to terms that will allow Disney performers back into the park. Why is that important to you? Because now shows like uh, Disney's Festival of the Lion King or Beauty and the Beast live on stage or Indiana Jones Epic Stunt. These attractions have a possibility of coming back in the imminent future, which again absorbs a crowd that, you know, and, and provides you as a guest more options during your stay. Because it really, it's hard to do the studios in Animal Kingdom without you know, being able to do Finding Nemo the Musical or uh, Frozen Single, you know, you're just missing a lot of these. And I'm not guaranteeing that all of them will reopen at this time, but it is going to give you more options of attractions to enjoy while you are in there. Yeah, well, and, you know, you bring up the COVID testing and uh, one thing that I think that does bring us to, and that's our third positive, our third thing that is definitely uh, in your favor if you're considering visiting the parks, is whether or not you agree uh, politically, personally uh, with the policies, whether you think they are too strict, whether you like them, whether you don't like them, is neither here nor there. The, the, the bottom line is Disney has very strict requirements for guests and their cast members when they're in the parks and the parks are, by all reports, extremely safe in terms of being a safe environment. Uh, masks are being enforced. Social distancing is absolutely being enforced. You could get online very quickly. Jeff has uh, some in his past blogs um, at, at disneyatwork.com where you can see photos of some of the plexiglass uh, dividers that are up in different places. They are up on the buses, they are in the monorails, they are in ride vehicles. And so they are not just taking this very casually, they are taking this seriously. And so if safety is a concern, if you and your traveling party say, I I I'm not gonna go, I'd love to go. I'd love lower wait times, I'd love lower crowds. I don't think that the theme park is safe. By all accounts, the theme parks do seem to be extremely safe because of all of the measures Disney has put in place. Jeff, is that is that that's been your experience as well? 
Yeah, I, you know, my, I, I've said flippantly, I feel safer at Disney than I do at Walmart, but let me, let me expand on that uh, a little bit. Um, and it's, it's not entirely the, uh, the bubble, the bubble is strong at Disney in terms of their intent to provide you the safest experience possible. Is it perfect? No, but it is, um, it is impressive. And I may do another podcast on this, but my wife who has been to the park several times finally managed to get our autistic son to go to a park and the park uh, that we got him to go to with a mask on being autistic uh, was SeaWorld. And my wife wasn't there for more than an hour and a half, two hours where she was ready to leave that park. There were too many people who were not abiding by the policies put out by the park, but somehow they had kind of at SeaWorld. It doesn't, it doesn't count here. You can do what you want. Almost felt like, like, uh, almost felt like there was, uh, a, a, a second message being sent out to everybody that you didn't have to do what was expected. You do not get that experience at, at the Disney parks. Um, some try to do it a little bit at Disney Springs um, and Disney's really clamped down on that, particularly by saying, you know what, if you're going to get a drink, you're going to stand there and take, before you take your mask off or sit down and drink that, drink or eat that food you're not going to walk around doing the munchies or sipping on things as you walk so they've been very clear about um, the expectations to guests and by and large i have seen guests really abide by those policies i really have not seen the kind of stuff that you now see on youtube where people put up a fuss or anything of that nature, it has been, I, I'm sure it will happen or it has happened, but uh, it, it, is a, it is a tight bubble. Now, I will say this, particularly for groups, I, 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 and I am, I live here, so I don't deal with the idea of travel um, to and from Orlando. Um, but I live in Orlando and I'm very comfortable with living in Orlando in this period of COVID. Most of the cases are down in the Miami, Fort Lauderdale area. That's not to say we don't have issues throughout, but, but Florida would not be the hotspot it were if it were divided into two states and I lived on the north and Miami was on the south. It's a, it's a different thing here compared to other parts of the state. That's another conversation, but what I was, was going to go with this is I understand the people who have concerns about getting on an airplane and doing that. And um, my wife has flown. I have not flown since this began. My wife did fly up to DC to see our grandchildren. She was able to catch a JetBlue flight where she had 10 rows free to herself in the back of the plane. Um, and really uh, not only our fares low, but the number of people, if you kind of look and plan your flight, you can get, uh, you know, kind of that seat very separated from others if you if you take the time and you're willing to be flexible to that. But I was going to say, really, uh, for those who are 
south of the Mason-Dixon line, there's no reason why you just don't jump in your car unless you've got a terrible running car. Gas up, get in your car, and drive on down. Um, you know, stop at, at uh, Chick-fil-A on the way. But other than that, uh, at a restroom to, you know, take a break very quickly. But you can, um, you can avoid a lot of that travel COVID issue. You get here, order your groceries to be brought to your room. Um, you know, there's a lot of things you can do to, um, because while the Disney bubble is pretty good, it's not always great outside the Disney bubble. Uh, but there are things you can do to, um, to address those bubbles. And, uh, and if you're, you know, if, if those are the issues that, that impact you, there are options available to you. Well, and I think that's, that's all good and reassuring to hear. And again, I always want to throw disclaimer in, disclaimers in because as you, as you mentioned, you know, this is a very, uh, this is a very tricky topic for a lot of people, depending on where you live and how, what the cases are and what your thoughts are about safety requirements and all of that. It, Jeff and I are not taking a stand on those either way. We're just trying to help kind of say from somebody, not only local, who can give us a perspective of what Orlando is like, but then compare that to being in the parks before COVID to now being in the parks multiple times after at different times, both in the early days as well as uh, recently in a month after. So I think if I was to summarize before we move on to negatives, that if you are interested, there are definitely three positives of visiting right now or in the near future, and that is lower crowds, lower wait times, and things have been kept fairly safe. But if that is all that we focused on and that is all that we broadcast, uh, we are not giving you a clear picture of what else might impact your trip. Some people may think the things we're about to discuss are not as big of a deal. And again, that's why you have that choice. But I think there are some things as a travel agent that I would wanna tell clients, please make sure you consider these things because low crowds and safety are not the end all be all when it comes to a Disney vacation. And the first thing I wanna talk about, Jeff mentioned it earlier, is currently there is no typical entertainment as we know it in the Walt Disney World theme parks. There are not parades. The, the afternoon parade at the Magic Kingdom is not happening. Uh, there is no nighttime entertainment currently happening, whether it's Fantasmic uh, at the studios, whether it's uh, the, the, the show Happily Ever After at the Magic Kingdom. Those are not currently at our recording time happening. There are also not character meet and greets like you would know them. We've seen videos of Merida walking down the Magic Kingdom street on a horse and princesses interacting with people from a train station, but they are not normal. But then Jeff did just mention, and this is probably development in the last couple of days, uh, that there have been agreements made with the Actors' Equity Union that would suggest that we may not be very far off from live show entertainment like uh, Festival of the Lion King, Finding Nemo Musical, those kind of things. Jeff, tell me a little bit about being somebody that has visited the parks as much as you do, both with your wife, your children, clients, all of this kind of stuff. How, how noticeably absent are those entertainment offerings? Um, you know, I think, I, I think the bad news is, is I don't hold that. I don't hold those seminal events during the day as 
important or as sacred as others who come down here. There is something where I know people who make their magic kingdom the last day of their visit. They may also visit other days, but they make sure before they go home, it's the last thing they do and they see the fireworks at the end of the day. And, and with all good reason, uh, those fireworks are the best Disney has ever done in the entire world, ever. They are great. Their, their parade is superb. Um, people love Fantasmic. So I, I get all of that. But as somebody who's a pass holder, um, I, I usually avoid that. I'm usually out the door while everybody's watching the fireworks so I don't have to wait in line for the monorail. I usually use those as opportunities to avoid the crowd. So I, I could probably, them, I hold them in a, a different perspective. Um, but let me, let me just say this one thing. If, uh, let, well, let me just say two things on this. First of all, you have to, you have to really assess if the fireworks are the seminal moment, then you just, this may hurt not to be there. On the other hand, if you can come with that realization, then you might be surprised and delighted. And when I say surprised and delighted, I think people have found that the character cavalcades that come through, and we'll have a link, we did a video that encompasses all of them in all four parks, the boats on Disney's Animal Kingdoms, the carriages through World Showcase, um, Tinkerbell on a treasure chest in the Magic Kingdom. When you, um, they're kind of they're kind of sweet, and they are they are um, they're surprise delights, if that makes any sense. But they don't they don't they do not substitute what people have seen to be you know a key part, a key uh, memory um, of their of their stay at Walt Disney World. Well, and I think that's it, it. It's it's important to hear that perspective because it's it's kind of what I'm hoping to do with this podcast is help people see both sides of okay. So those things are not being offered. That could be good. That could be a detriment to you. But understanding the fact that en entertainment is not what we knew it was in mid February, you know, mid to late February, early March before the park shut down. It's not to say they won't go back to normal at, at, a, at some time, but it is something to take in consideration. Now, this is a topic, uh, the, the next thing that I think might give us can pause. I, can I say one more thing there, David? Yeah, sure. I think a bigger issue, and we'll kind of come to it in a minute, I think with the other topic you were bringing, what, what happens after the park's closed. But for a lot of people, um, and, and I remember in the, in the Disneyland guidebook, when you get to, you cover each of the different lands and then you get to Disneyland after dark. And I remember the Walt Disney quote is, the, the, um, the be essentially Disneyland's best time of the day is after dark. And there is something sweet and wonderful about all those lights on Main Street and the castle lit up. And I had, I don't think I had, I don't think there was a podcast I didn't say how much I was looking forward to drinking blue milk on the porch um, in the evening glow of Galaxy's Edge. And honestly, it's the one experience I really haven't enjoyed. It kind of rained out on one occasion and the park's closing earlier. So there's, there is that 
that is a factor in my mind. That to me, walking around World Showcase in the evening, and, and they're looking at closing the park at 7 p.m. on at Epcot. I mean, <laughs> where do you get when do you get dinner? <laughs> now, the the answer to that may be if you go to the reservation for that time, you may find that they will have reservations going to like 6.45 in the evening at one of your favorite restaurants in World Showcase. And just like you talked about closing out the park, you might still be able to eat there until eight o'clock and then literally walk you know, the park out. And that would be actually a very cool memory, um, but it would be a very different memory than before. Well, yeah, and, and that's, understanding how different those memories might be, I think might be important, especially as we understand, uh, and, and I kind of focus at the end of who might be making those memories. And so we'll, we'll kind of hopefully tie a, tie a nice little bow around that um, as, as we close. But I think one of the second areas that I'd like to get your, your thoughts on, and you just briefly mentioned it, but I think it does become an important factor for some people to consider is how dining has changed and how there may be limited dining options, uh, not only just due to uh, some of the, the, the restaurant locations having shorter hours, which obviously they will. Uh, sometimes you have some locations that are not even open yet. And when you stack that on top of the social distancing requirements, a restaurant, I don't know why, but I always think of a, a really crowded restaurant like Pecos Bill's. Uh, in the Magic Kingdom or uh, even Pinocchio's uh, Village House, right? Those are always crowded. They can't be as crowded. They can't let as many people in. And yes, right now, there may not be a lot of people to really pack those places, but dining is going to be a different experience um, in the parks in terms of availability. Everything has gone to mobile ordering, but you might not be able to as easily find food on a very short notice as you would have before. But then one of our discussions off air that we were having shortly after you uh, visited and stayed at Wilderness Lodge yourself was that it wasn't necessarily the park dining that had kind of surprised you as being problematic. It was actually the dining options at the resort that was problematic. And I think that's something that's important for people to hear about. Can you share with us what, what kind of troubles or difficulties you had in terms of getting dining when you needed it at Wilderness Lodge? Yeah, well, um, yeah, let me, let me back up to the parks, first of all, and talk about that, this dining problem. Um, good news is, if you want your Dole Whip, it's not only available, it's available on mobile order, and it's going to be available to you. Great. What if you'd like a Sunday at the corner ice cream parlor on Main Street? Yeah, sorry, it's closed. No, closed. The whole day closed. Now, I suppose that hand scooping COVID, hand scooping ice cream is more of a COVID problem than holding a dish underneath a soft serve machine. I, I don't know what the thinking there is, but it doesn't seem to me to be that different. Whatever has happened, it's that for a lot of people getting that ice cream sundae on Main Street is a big thing. Or going to Cinderella's Royal uh, banquet hall, which is currently closed, or um, Chez de France, currently closed. There are some really um, big, important dining places that people love to go in the parks, and they're closed. So make sure you look at that before you go 
if, if dining is an important option, um, boy. Now, on the other hand, I, I talk about my experience, for instance, at Skipper's Canteen, and boy, I was seated in a room with two other parties, and it just felt like you had the place to yourself. So that was the, that was the cool news. It did not feel like they were trying to get you out of there. It, it was very, it, it just, and, and in the heat of the day, it was just wonderful uh, to be able to just cool off and chill and not worry about people being too close to you and so forth. And I'm, by the way, I'm not big on being in a lot of sit down dining restaurants uh, since they've reopened. We've kind of avoided that indoor sit down dining restaurants. But I have to say, having spent time in a location like um, uh, Skipper's Canteen, I'm very comfortable with that. Now, you're going to the Wilderness Lodge thing and I had gone, I had made a bunch of reservations for dining experiences while we stayed at Wilderness Lodge. And then a few days previous, I had this moment where we had ta done takeout order uh, from a Brazilian uh, steakhouse uh, from some friends of ours who had given us gift cards, which by the way, they didn't accept the gift cards. So we ended up paying $100 for this food, but I, and I liked the idea that we took it home, but I was eating this and I was like, I am so over eating out. And so I scrapped all of my dining reservations. I said, I thought, you know what? On, on one evening, we will go and get on a boat, take it over to the Contemporary, take a monorail, and we'll do an appetizer at the Contemporary, a main dish, I might suggest those meatballs at, um, at Captain Cook's, and then dessert over um, at Gasparilla's at Grand Floridian, head back over to the Contemporary and take a boat back. back. Well, uh, guess what? First of all, there is no boat between Wilderness Lodge and Contemporary and Fort Wilderness as they have had in the past. That's out. Secondly, uh, the monorail system was only going until one hour. Usually it's a one, uh, an hour and a half only until one hour past park closing and park closing was seven o'clock and we didn't even get on the road until, until 6.30 or so. So we had to turn around and we only ended up doing two restaurants and it was just, it was just lacking. It was disappointing. And I, I boy, I really regretted not having dining reservation. But if I'd had a Kona cafe, there's no Ohana, uh, you know, if I'd had a Kona cafe, you know, I still probably would have had an, issue trying to get back to our room at the end of the day. And so it's a real head scratcher. Can't Fort Wilderness? Uh, is there anything open at Fort Wilderness right now if you're staying at the campground? Uh, they might reopen Hoop-de-Doo with, now that they've made the changes to uh, Actors' Equity's agree the agreement with Actors' Equity. But right now, I maybe the takeout is available, but the, I don't think there's anything available there. So you could be really stuck at Fort Wilderness. Um, a lot of things in the boardwalk when I was last there uh, were not available. Um, and that may have changed, but I don't think Flying Fish has reopened. Um, I don't think they've, the steakhouse closed, over at Yacht and Beach. They've closed Apple Hills Creamery, which is my favorite ice cream yeah. place on the boardwalk. Ugh. Yeah, I'd, ESPN, I don't think has, has reopened. I don't think they've reopened even that um, uh, 
the one that kind of has craft beers in it um, that's at the boardwalk. So I just think you want to, you really want to kind of check out not only what are your dining possibilities after hours, you want, and but how you're going to get to and from because what was available then may not be available now. Yeah, so I appreciate that perspective because I had not yet thought about because our our family does not typically when we visit, uh, we do not typically eat a lot um, in the resort. We're typically in the parks as long as possible. We might grab, um, you know, go back and, and take a break and, and dump our bags and stuff and, and grab supper quick service before we leave. But we don't often um, eat in the resorts unless it's a sit-down meal. So I think that's an, an important perspective to offer. Again, not saying that that's a deal breaker for people, but you need to find out if it is. And if you are somebody who typically likes to dine at your resort quite often or visit a lot of the other resorts, it's not impossible. It's just much more complex than it would have been um, before this. Speaking of resorts, one other thing I think it is good to mention as we kind of start to wrap things up here is that your resort options on property are going to be limited for the time being. Uh, They're currently, neither of the Port Orleans resorts are available to book uh, and they are not available to book into 2021, at least not right now as are uh, none of the all-star resorts, music, movies, or sports are not open for booking either. And then there are some other uh, deluxe resorts that are open for DVC members, but normal guests cannot uh, book those rooms as well. So again, that's not necessarily a don't go. That's just a, if you are a fan that's been a lot and you say, I will only ever stay at this place, you might need to to look otherwise when you are staying on property until they start to get back to closer to full capacity. You um, know, the, a great example of that is um, uh, the villas over at Disney's Animal Kingdom Lodge. And you could stay over at the villas, but you don't have current access to Jumbo House. Isn't that correct? I believe that's accurate, yes, but things keep changing all the time, that so may I'm be. not 100% certain. But, and, the, and then some of the restaurants aren't available either. Uh, Sanaa is, but Boma isn't. Um, so it, again, it's, and then one of the other aspects of this is, so what do you, with the parks closing early, what are you going to do in the evening? If you figured out, if you figured out a great dining reservation, great, you can make that an evening of dining and that's enjoyable. I love going back for a swim um that said uh i noticed that there are a lot more swimmers in the evening because there's nothing else to do so everybody's piled into the pool and if you're anxious about that covid thing now also during the day we decided to go to the studios like two o'clock in the afternoon or just before the two o'clock thing for um uh for obtaining boarding passes so we enjoyed the morning over at the, the pool at uh, Boulder Ridge, and uh, it was great. I mean, we practically had the whole pool to ourselves. It was quiet. It was great. It was great conversation time between my wife and I. It, it, it was just a great moment. So you just have to kind of rethink where and how you want to spend your time uh, to making sure that, again, Maybe the answer is getting some groceries. If you're staying at a DVC resort, getting some groceries and just cooking there and having those groceries delivered to you. So there's some, there's ways to do it, but it is a different approach 
then then probably and if you're if you're someone who likes no i've got to have this i've got to have this i've got to have this then you probably are going to end up at some frustration points along the way yeah and that's a the frustration points is i i think a very nice way or a, a very good way to put that a very helpful way to put that is that just realize this could add some added uh frustration I mean, not not unlike it would have been to go to a resort for a meal from a park that was not your own resort, right? There was always some extra work in, all right, let me go here, let me transfer there, then we're gonna have to figure out how to get back. Uh, just make sure that, that if you're listening, you are aware that there are limited resort options. And I think the last thing that, that Jeff actually just, just mentioned uh, was the fact that those shorter park hours could impact you. So I wanted to, to, again, wrap all of this up. And from your perspective and my perspective, I wanted to give at least my advice when somebody comes to me, and it's very important to me, when a client comes to me that I am straightforward with them and I am honest uh, with them about what I think is gonna be best in their situation that they have to decide. But again, making sure that I am pulling back the curtain of the great and, and powerful Oz <laughs> that I tell them everything that's going to be involved with a visit to Walt Disney World right now. And my response, and Jeff, I want to hear yours too, because yours may different from mine. I would tell people, if you are a frequent visitor or you are somebody that feels like you know the parks well, and you go once a year, once every couple of years, this may be an ideal time, especially if you are a family and people in your family, whether it's the age of your kids or the age of the, the people in your family and you're all adults and attractions are the priority for you. And you say, we wanna go because like an after hours event, we wanna take advantage of ridiculously low wait times, then this is absolutely a time you should consider discussing with your family to go. However, on the flip side of that, my advice would be, if you are new, you've never been to Walt Disney World, or if this is a, what I call a once in a trip. So this is a, our, our only trip with, with the grandparents and all of the grandkids, or we only go once every five or 10 years. Uh, you may want to consider holding off on that also because it's not any cheaper to go right now. Currently at the time of this recording in the middle of August, they are not offering um, any discounts uh, for the rest of the fall. That's not to say that may change, but you are paying the same price for much more limited options in some areas. And so whether or not you go is not a cookie cutter answer for everyone. That's how I am, am, am advising clients. Jeff, are you on, on board the same way there or do you, do you look at it a little differently? In many ways. The other day I asked uh, my good friends, the Scallies who had stayed at um, Bay Lake Towers and our DVC members on a scale of one to 10, having just spent a week there, would you do it again? And they put it as an eight. And I thought that was pretty remarkable because they really like certain things to happen on their trip. They really like staying at certain places, eating at certain restaurants, doing certain activities. That itinerary was interrupted for them, but they still managed to find an eight out of this. People, um, I, but they again are a great example of people who come several times a year and they love to come to Disney. And if you are one of those Disney fans who comes often, this is the time to come. If you are one of those Disney fans who comes, but boy, I never really could afford to stay 
at Disney's Polynesian Village Resort or at the Grand Floridian or, or the board. This is your time to probably talk to Dave and get a room rate that would be so much less than what it has been before. And I believe that at least through September and maybe for a little while after that, the prices are going to be substantial. September is a low month anyway in the parks. This could even be more. For those who do that with kids, you know, you only go for a short weekend, long weekend with the kids, or you only go during the summer with the kids. Well, for many of you, your kids are now on online school. And the incentive may be you do your homework <laughs> and as soon as you've done your schoolwork, we're out the door to the park. It is entirely possible to, to depending on you know how school is structured for you, to go travel and do schooling virtually and be there at the parks at a different time of the year than you usually have to do uh, during, the time, during that time of year. This is what I would, I would tell everyone though, is for, especially for those who, have, who look back on five, 10, 15, 30 years of memories at Disney and you have certain things that come to mind. Um, and it's been, we always loved doing this and we always got a dull whip and, we, and we've always tried to uh, see hoop to do And we, you know, for those who have, their story of Disney is built on certain things they do. This is not necessarily your trip. However, if you can be flexible, I will assure you that as you look back on all your memories, you will look back and say, Oh, remember 2020 when there was nobody in the parks and everybody had to wear a mask and all the craziness of that, that was so different. You will probably walk away with more memories from a stay this year than honestly, than for many other individuals stay as you look back on the rest of your uh, visits over the years. So it will be different, but different sometimes offers new memories you hadn't planned on. And that's not so bad. Yeah, well, like you said, I, I, I think what becomes important, and uh, if you are interested and you have never been, or you've been often and you wanna get some more information, uh, again, as you mentioned earlier, I am an agent and owner of Out The Door Travel. And one of the things that my co-owners and our agents do, like we want to simplify that process for you and make that a little more stress-free. And so if you say, I'm not really sure, I haven't yet decided, you can go to the website, uh, visit us, reach out, and we will put you with an agent who's going to be able to kind of help figure out and maybe guide you a little better what best meets your family's needs. Because like the analogy of buying a car, the radio may be extremely important to one family and not to another. And so understanding what is important about that vacation to you and those people you're traveling with is going to be important. We thank you so much for joining us on the Disney at Play podcast today. Hopefully this gave you a good overview of what the parks are like. This could obviously change just days from now, but Hopefully uh, we've given you some of that insight so that you and your family can make a decision. Thank you so much, Jeff, uh, for coming out of the soundproof room and letting me take over the podcast today. Uh, I appreciate it and look forward to talking soon. All good, thanks. Remember, in the words of Sinbad, 
always follow the compass of your heart. Thank you so much. Have a great day.